I'll encourage you to have your Bibles open to that particular passage that we read from. We'll also see these words in context as it's a, a speech that spans several chapters, but we'll look at the, the gist of it or the overall um, thought that's behind it and all that the Lord was saying to Job, which begins really in chapter 38 and goes into chapter 41. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord has broken the silence. Finally, what Job has asked for has come to pass. He wanted an encounter with the Lord, as he stated in chapter 31, verse 35, as well as other places in this book. Job was looking for answers. Specifically, he was looking for an indictment, a reprieve from all the charges and the accusations that were being brought against him. The Lord speaks twice, and then Job answers. But as you may notice in our scripture reading today, these speeches have little to do with the central issue. Answers are not given directly as to why Job suffered so severely in spite of everything he sought to do to maintain a good relationship with the Lord. Nor does God justify himself. There's no accounting of Job's treatment. Neither is he given that opportunity to defend himself against the supposed charges. Instead, the Lord comes dressed for action, and he calls Job to do the same. So two points for this morning's message. Out of the whirlwind, the Lord questions Job first in the form of a verbal wrestling match, and then secondly, with the ultimate challenge. So first of all, our first point again, the Lord questions questions Job in the form of a wrestling match. And we find this back in chapter 38, verses 1 to 3. The image of this divine challenge is drawn from a popular ancient sport called belt wrestling, a type of wrestling used as an ordeal in court, and it is by ordeal that cases were settled. And that's not only true in the um, ancient world, in the way that it conducted itself, this also reminds us of Jacob, Jacob at Penuel, when he wrestled with the Lord. God challenges Job to a duel, to a battle of wisdom, because there's been too much talk, too many words without knowledge. And these are the rules. I will question you, and you will answer me. It's a test of knowledge. Fifty to sixty questions are fired in a row, and they range from topics like the earth, the heavens, questions about the phenomena of weather, rain and thunder, 
questions that deal with the animal kingdom and questions that deal with the plant world. Children, if we could use this illustration, it would be like you going to school and having a surprise test given to you that you didn't study for. You had five minutes to answer 60 questions about how the universe is, how it works. You'd have to explain why the earth rotates and explain how this happens. You had to name all the ocean currents and how they all worked. You had to name all the stars and constellations like the Great Bear, Orion, Pleiades. Then you would have to explain the origin and the the dispersal of light. And then you had to answer all kinds of questions on meteorology. Now you might be a good student and a smart person, but this would be a test that you could not explain. Explaining how everything, how God does everything in this world. You would fail this test. And so that was like this contest that the Lord was putting before Job. On the negative side, you get the sense immediately that this is not a contest between equals. Job can't win this war with the Almighty. He doesn't have a fighting chance. The only thing he can do is humble himself. But on the positive side, there is a kind of playfulness in the Lord's speeches. His aim is not to crush Job with an awareness of his smallness. On the contrary, the mere fact that God converses with Job and with us shows us his condescension and his mercy. And it also shows our dignity as humans who are made in the image of God. We're above all the birds and the beasts. God enjoys his world, and he wants us to enjoy it as well. His creation, it's marvelous. But it's only when we properly love him and acknowledge his absolute majesty and sovereignty and holiness that we can appreciate it. You see, Job had forgotten who he was. There was a certain amount of pride that he had, which blew up like a balloon. He questioned God again and again and again. He needed to be humbled like a little child. For that is our calling. To grow up in Christ, to grow in Him, we need to grow down into lowliness and into humility. As J.I. Packer put it, Christians grow greater by becoming smaller. We all need to be like little children in his classroom. God needs to be our teacher. So imagine yourself being there today and he handed you a test that had all these questions that you were called to answer. Were you there when God laid the foundation of the earth? Were you there, boys and girls, when God created the world? The Lord thought Job must have been there. Like he said to Job in in, uh, chapter 38, verse 21, in, in some irony, you know it. 
because you were born then, weren't you? You've lived so many years, you should know. We have to conclude we weren't there. And I don't understand how the world began. I take it at face value that you created it. In fact, the universe is far greater than me. You know, we've penetrated space by sending probes to Mars. And we've explored its surface with a, with a Mars rover. But it's just one planet in this entire planetary system. Or what about the weather? Job 38, verse 22 says, Have you entered the treasury of snow? Have you seen the treasury of hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? It's not worded scientifically, but it's, it's a metaphor. It's a figure of speech about the weather. But it does beg the question, how does it all work? Has the rain a father, or, has, or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice and the frost of heaven who gives it birth? The waters harden like stone and the surface of the deep is frozen. God's in control of the weather. What comes from the sky in the form of water droplets or white crystals with gale force winds, it's all from him. That's clear from Job 38, verses 34 to 38. It says, Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that an abundance of water may cover you? Can you send out lightnings that may go and say to you, Here we are. Who has put wisdom in the mind? Or who has given understanding to the heart? Who can number the clouds of wisdom? Or who can pour out the bottles of heaven? When the dust hardens, it clumps. And the clods cling together. And that's what weather can be like in Canada. You know, as the saying is, if you don't like it, wait an hour or two and it will change. But if we had it our way, we would have winter for two months instead of six or maybe five. We would have less rain and less snow and more sunshine. We would not want to get half a foot of snow in the middle of, of April. And yet if we got what we wanted, that would upset the ecosystems. It would throw off the balance. We have to trust that in his wisdom, God made it this way. In Winnipeg, we get the extremes. But there has to be a purpose for that. We have to accept that or else... Move away. And if you move away, you'll find it pretty quickly that wherever you end up, there are good things and there are bad things. There are things that you'll like and there's, there are things that you will dislike. God is also in control of the world of wild animals and birds. You know, just consider the birds. Chapter 39, verses 13 and following speak about the ostrich. The ostrich is not a very bright bird. 
She lays her eggs on the ground and leaves them exposed to the weather. She's negligent with her young, as if they weren't hers. But when she runs, oh, she can run. She scorns the horse and its rider. Who gave her that ability? How did she get so fast? And then chapter 39, verse 26, talks about the hawk. Does the hawk fly by your wisdom and spread its wings toward the south? Think about the migration pattern of birds, like the Canada goose. You know, we have an amazing migration pattern here. Each year they leave us, they settle in the south, but as soon as it's the right time for them to, to return, they go north, they go back to the same nesting grounds that they were before, in pairs, male and female, and they'll mate for life. The Lord has made all of this, and He's done this in His great wisdom, and He looks after them. Hebrews 1 says, that the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, upholds all things by what? By the word of His power. Or like Psalm 145 says, which we sang from earlier, it says, you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Or like, like Isaiah 40 verse 26 says, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. He brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. Why does God ask all these questions? Job has lost everything. His health, his children, his property. He himself is barely alive. He's just hanging on. The reason for this endless questioning is found in chapter 40 and verse 2. Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God let him answer it. You think you need to know everything. If you could order the universe, you would make sure that this would happen and that would happen. But you're not God. And that's the most important lesson from all of this. We fail to learn the, that lesson. We're not God. In the grand scheme of things, God is great, but man is small. We're trivial next to the Creator. Man is just a creature. And you notice how Job, at this point, at this point in the discussion, or in this, at this point in the conversation, the way that he answers it. You see what's happening here in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 40. He has used too many words. He has spoken too much. And God has shut, shut his mouth. 
It's not a time for him to feel sorry for himself. It's a time to listen. It's a time to fall before the majesty and sovereignty of God. In particular, we need to grow small in our own eyes. That's what this word here, uh, vile, means. I'm of small account as it's translated here in the ESV. Can you say that about yourself? Has your bubble of self-importance been burst? Have you humbled yourself before the mighty hand of God? Have you put your hand over your mouth and said, Who am I, O Lord, to you? Have you repented of your sin, your pride, and humbled yourself before God? You see, it's impossible for us to entertain any notion that we're great Christians, while at the same time insisting that Jesus Christ is a great Savior. For what did he do? He humbled himself by becoming a man. Laying down his life for us. The mighty creator became the creature to redeem us from our sin. And we need to have the attitude of of John the Baptist. When he compared himself to Jesus. He must increase. But I must decrease. He must become greater. And I must become less. You might have the greatest knowledge, the highest education, the most university degrees behind your name. You may be a very skilled laborer, great mechanic. But who are we next to the Lord? Indeed, O man, who are you to reply? against God. While there is more, Job is just beginning to get the lesson. He hasn't been reduced enough. And that brings us to our second point as the Lord questions Job secondly with the ultimate challenge. The last two chapters, or the last, yeah, the last chapters, uh, 40, 40, 40 and 41, the last two animals that are mentioned in the last part of the book are Behemoth and Leviathan. And the million-dollar question that still has been hotly debated and still intrigues scholars is, who were these animals? Were they real natural animals or metaphorical and mythical, steeped in the um, Eastern mythology, like the, kind of like the Loch Ness Monster idea? Is one a land creature and the other a sea creature? Some identify one as a land dinosaur and the other as a sea or ocean dinosaur. And there are other interpretations for behemoth. It was a natural animal like an elephant or a hippo or even a water buffalo. Others may say there was no behemoth, just a creation for the sake of argument in the book of Job. Leviathan, on the other hand, is thought to be 
a sea monster that the Lord defeated. And there are some studies that identify this creature with Satan, like the ancient sea serpent from the sea, which according to Psalm 73, the Lord defeated. And yet there's no mention of that here in the book of Job. Some today take the view that Behemoth and Leviathan are the hippopotamus and the crocodile. That's possible. It seems more likely that they were some type of dinosaur in the way that they're described. They're mighty creatures with teeth and jaws. They could not be tamed like a dog or harnessed like a horse. Chapter 41, but Leviathan, it says, no one is so fierce that he would dare stir him. Who then is able to stand against me? Now the question that we need to ask here is not what exactly are these creatures? The question that we need to ask is why are they mentioned at all? Why must we get up, why must Job get up close and personal with these creatures? Why must we? What does this have to do with all of your problems in your life? all your pains? How does this help someone who's in turmoil? You know, would you go up to someone who is dying of a disease in their hospital and said, have you ever considered Leviathan? Can you draw him out with a hook or snare his tongue with a line? Why should he care if he can? Why must we care? Why is this even here? Why did God create these fierce creatures? Well, the answer is uncertain. We don't know. But God does. And you see, this is the same kind of reasoning that we must have in our lives. Why does God send pain into your life? Why are people born with Horrible maladies. Why are some born with Down syndrome? Why do they have specific needs in this world? Why do we have to endure so much trouble in our lives? We don't know. We don't know. We don't always have the answers. It's not important for us to know. As John Calvin said, for Scripture shows us many things which our understanding cannot brook. It's not for us to know the answers to all our questions. The important thing for us to know is that God does. God knows. Why did he create Behemoth? He did that for his own glory. Why Leviathan? He did that for his own glory. Why did the Lord Jesus Christ take on human flesh and live and die? He did that for his own glory. It demonstrates to us the very heart of God. He did this for our salvation. That's why these incredible creatures are mentioned in these chapters. It, it, it's to show us that God is more powerful than the worst creatures possible. God's in the midst of the storm. 
that we go through even when your worst nightmares come to pass. It's like C.S. Lewis's books on Narnia, like the, the story of the Dawn Treader at that island of darkness where your dreams, even your bad dreams, can come true. Edmund dreams about this large sea creature that comes to life and they end up having to fight it. That's what Behemoth and Leviathan remind us of. We can be going through the most horrendous of, most horrendous of circumstances when our worst nightmares come true, but God is in control. He's the same God in control as he was in the days of Job. He so orders everything in the lives of his children. We don't know all things, but Christ does. And all things work together for good to those who are called by God according to his purposes, Romans 8, 28. Why is there evil? Why is there trouble in this world? Why pain and suffering? That's not for us to know, but for God to know. How can you trust him then? How can you depend on him? It's by faith. By faith, we're made more than conquerors in him who loves us. By faith, we share in his victory over death and Satan. By faith, we are victors. As Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 say, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, and through, that through death he might destroy him who also had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You therefore can trust him with your hurt, with your pain, with your trials, and with your sorrows. Is that something that you are doing today? Are you trusting him even when life is painful? Amen. Well, let's sing now from hymn 74. Hymn 74 for our song of response stands as one to four. Stands as one, two, three, and four. And please stand if you're able. Mm -hmm. 